Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, what's up? It's Zane. So this conversation right here on the interview series is with Sam Smith, and I can speak from experience. I was right there when Sam emerged with their collaboration on the Disclosure song, Latch. You know, fresh voice for many, many people, but as far as Sam was concerned, they'd been working up to that moment for a very, very long time. And but what followed was unprecedented in that moment. Sam Smith's debut album in The Lonely Hour went on to sell more than 10 million copies around the world and established them as one of the world's favorite new voices. Somebody who could sing from the most personal of places, and yet when we heard it, we applied it to our most personal of experiences. So what happens when you catch a lightning bolt? You follow it as high as you can, but eventually you got to come back down to earth. And when Sam did, the second album that followed, the thrill of it all, well, the title said it all. The album was ultimately a bittersweet experience for someone who had gone through such highs only to realize that his personal life was still wallowing in the lows. The album was great, did great, and the tour ditto. But when it was all said and done, who was not great was Sam Smith, the person that we don't know. We think we know, but we don't. That's what makes them so amazing. And for a few years there, the trail kind of went pretty silent until new music started to emerge, an altogether different sounding Sam Smith, somebody who was searching for lightness, for reasons to celebrate, to break away from the heartache that has bookmarked each of their albums and to dance. That's what the new album represents. The heartache, still there, but a different way of processing it. That's where we find Sam Smith in this particular conversation on the interview series at a point in life where the processing is different, the answers are different, and the story has taken a different direction. I hope you enjoy it. Myself, and I can say this confidently, my good friend, Sam Smith, chatting with you right here on Apple Podcasts. It's so lovely to see you. You look so, so well. So do you. You look great. Where are you? We're in LA. You're at home in, in London. No, I'm at the Savoy. <laughs> Thank God for that, because I was like, why did you like develop a penchant for posh chairs? <laughs> it's the most inappropriate location for you to be sitting when you've made an album as vibrant and as young and as just on its toes as this album is. Um, I sort of feel like we should be doing this interview while we're disco dancing in the middle of a nightclub. <laughs> I want to pull it apart in the most beautiful way I can over the course of this conversation. But um, first of all, I just want to ask you once again, and maybe I've asked you this question every time that you put an album out, so let's just create a timeline of them. How do you feel when you've let go of something and now you, you have to really let it go for us to be able to appreciate it? And if you could put into words on your third album proper, how you feel on the verge of releasing this album, Love Goes? Oh gosh, um, I feel relieved. There's always a, there was always a relief, and I feel a bit emotional even that now. Just sitting here, like talking about this record, I feel super emotional about it because it's the last two years have been a really, really mad time, you know, of, of experimentation, of, of finding myself, you know, with, with, with my, my gender expression, with so much that has happened the last two years. It's, it's, it's captured in this music. And I basically, I really set myself free with this record. And I just went in the studio and I tried to home in on my abilities as a top liner and learn from the best. For me, it was a risk. For me, for me, making pop the way I did and the sessions I did was 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 a, was risk taking for me because I was literally in a in a suit with a with my shirt up, you know, being crooner for 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 five years. Well, I want to talk to you about that, you know, because <laughs> it's like I I feel like this album certainly from the from the minute it starts is you reclaiming 
your youth and reclaiming the childhood, or not the childhood, but certainly the experiences that most young people are afforded, reclaiming some of that back because a majority of the first half of your 20s was spent appealing through great, great music, but to an audience who would never have understood an album like this out the gate. Yeah. They wanted timeless soul music and pop music. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I still, I'm actually, I'm writing the next one now, like I always do. And I want to... Oh, I'm slow down. <laughs> I haven't got my head around this one yet. <laughs> but I'm, um, and I'm, I still love soul music so much, but it's, I felt in the lonely hour and everything began so naturally for me. And then as soon as you added fame and success and... Um, a fan base and all these things into the mix, um, the music started to change. And it still was honest, but it was what I thought I wanted people to hear instead of me actually like creatively jumping and being scared and being out of my comfort zone. And, and when I listen to this album, that's what I can hear. When I listen back, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm all over the shop. One track, I'm doing this. One track, I'm doing that. And that's kind of where I was at during that year. I was I was all over the place trying to trying to put together the pieces a little bit. Did you feel like you were all beyond your years a bit sometimes when you were touring some of these previous songs and albums that in a weird way you'd kind of aged yourself before your time? Yeah, 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 100%. I think, I mean, to be honest, the suits started happening because I was getting bigger. When I got my record deal, I just started spending money on really rich foods. And so I just started... <laughs> <laughs> So I just started to get, as I was getting bigger, the only way to hide was to wear a suit. And then before I knew it, I was like in this crooner zone. And I, you know me, I've always been a bit of an old soul. But at the same time, I've got, uh, same time I'm a, I'm a club kid. <laughs> and I love a drink. Well, listen, I mean, you, it, but, but that's also part of the kind of coping mechanisms of getting through it to some degree. When you're young and you're out there and people uh, want to hear you sing these songs and you're selling a ton of records and everyone's telling you your dreams have come true. Be happy, be happy, your dreams have come true. And perhaps there's a part of you that still feels like it, as insecure as you did when you started trying to express yourself through music in the first place. Those two things become at odds with each other over time. You should be happy, you should be happy, but... I was always unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know how this is supposed to make me happy. Is you know, I've 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 seen this over and over again with artists. Were you kind of trying to cope with that as well? Was that all part of the the big chemistry of success? Of course. I was sold this dream when I was a kid. I was like, okay, so I was feeling lonely, I was feeling isolated as a kid, I was feeling sad. Then I realized I could sing. And then um everyone telling me that I was good at singing felt really, really good. And then that carried on. And then I thought, oh my gosh, you know, if I take this further and further and further, I'm gonna I'm gonna fill this little hole inside of me that I have, and it's gonna be all all, all wonderful and everything's gonna be great. Um but Everyone's applauding. is 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 like is is like a drug, and you're loving it, and you're loving it. And then I hit 24, and I was like, I'm never going to be happy unless I'm happy in my own skin, unless I actually like who I yeah, am. Yeah, don't you start to feel a little bit of a little bit of shame almost of the fact that everyone loves you and you don't necessarily love yourself? Oh, completely. I feel like when I made in the lonely hour, I wanted to perform at Wembley Stadium. I had this, I like, I manifested it in my head. I was like, I want to be at Wembley Stadium. I want to be the biggest singer ever. You know, that I, I was so driven um, that I was willing to put everything aside, including my happiness, to get to that place. And, and uh, I, can't, I couldn't do it. <laughs> 
Just absolutely couldn't do it. What created the hole? Are you any closer to working that out? Oh, yeah. What created the desire to reach people in the first place? I think a huge part of it was being queer, you know, being young. And I was brought up in a... My family were amazing with, with it. I came out... But I came out when I was 10 years old. And so I was out... As a, as, a, as a gay person at 10. At 14, I was wearing makeup and female clothing all throughout school. So I was, I was so out of the closet for such a long time that all of that time was, was, was loneliness time as well because I had no one around me that, that thought like me who, who was openly gay around me at all in my life um, until I was 19, 20, when I became well-known. So I think that was the whole, for sure, was this this not being enough. Just that feeling I think that all queer kids have when they're, when they're younger, you know? You're brought up in a world where you're told that it's not okay to be what you are. And that's really, really hard. I mean, to have the self-awareness and the bravery to be able to realise at an age like 10 years old that you are who you are and you want to make it known and you want those closest to you to adapt accordingly to the person that you naturally are rather than somebody that society assumes you should be, mm. is such a, a huge step. And it's a step that a lot of people take a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. Were there moments, even though your family were great about it, where perhaps they felt because of your age that this decision shouldn't be taken as seriously as, as maybe others? Or how did you make them understand at the age of 10 where everyone's experimenting with ideas and concepts of who they might want to be, that, that you were dead serious, that you'd realised this at such a young age? I mean, it was pretty obvious, Zane. I mean, I was Mary Poppins for the first seven years of my life. Like, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was the campus kid in the world. Like, I was... My parents just always knew, and it wasn't a surprise to them or a shock to them at all. I think they were just constantly worried because I think they grew up um, in school with people being, you know, really have leading hard lives. Judgmental. Yeah, so they were worried for me, for sure. But it's a weird thing to think back and look at because I was always taught to say how lucky I was because I was like, I've came out, my parents didn't abandon me, I'm all good. But then you actually get to this age and you're like, still, even though all of those things were great, um, even though I've been so lucky and privileged, it's still difficult. Life is still hard. <laughs> you had the work to do. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Listen, you've been so transparent through your music and telling your story. Um, it, sh it should come as no surprise to th that this album with a song like Young opens with probably the most honest expression that you could have shared, which is just a very sharp, deep jaw of breath. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to yeah. me, that's just like, it's it's just the most beautiful way to start the uh -oh. album. Everyone normally tries to iron those 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 details out and... You just made it really clear that, that I'm going to, to me it sounds like, you know, I'm now going to take a big step forward and this is a this is a big moment for me. That's what that breath represents. Am I looking too deeply into it or is this some symbolism? No, Joe, it makes that so nice you picked up on that actually. It's really cool. I just, I wanted to start the album with this song because it's it's like a declaration, you know, before I start the record. There's some, there's some guilty pleasures on that record. You know, I wasn't taking myself seriously with some of these songs. Like, I was going nuts. And we were like, a lot of people will, will listen to some of these songs and be like, whoa, this is, I do not like this. But it's, I had to do it. I love all types of music. You know, I have a very deep understanding of music and I love very complex music. But I also love what a lot of people would say is trashy music. <laughs> and I love 
the simplicity <laughs> of trashy music and in being queer as well and going to queer spaces from the age of 18, they play this type of music sometimes. They play music that is is very... Uh, it's just it, it's it's in your face and it's and it's all wrong, but it's so right, you know. They call it guilty pleasures, but I don't know Is why anyone thing? should make you feel guilty for liking anything. Exactly, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, yeah, completely. And that's what I tried to access in the record. Actually, was the the tracks can flip and flop and change. You know, it's okay. We're going to go through some of these key moments, um, the ones that people will consider timeless Sam Smith moments. Uh, the ones that that you that you fear people might consider trashy, but I think uh, <laughs> these are the dying days of your of your gardenness, my friend, because I think this album is, is start to finish a joy to listen to. Okay. But it retains at its core this desire to share your experience of unrequitedness, of 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 lost love. There are very few people who are able to put it into words the way you do. And yes, you're dancing whilst you're telling these stories, but. These stories, to some degree, remain at the core of who you are. You know, I, I wonder whether or not the expectation of others throughout your life, in particular your career, has somehow transferred into your expectation of relationships in your personal life and what they're supposed to match up to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, I've sometimes when I'm with someone, I think I'm with what I think we could be instead of what we actually are, you know, sometimes. The idea, yeah. Yeah, I get addicted to the, to living in the future and addicted, because it's a comfort, you know, when, when you're in, when, when now is a horrible place to be, I have the ability to escape to, to the future or somewhere else and it's always been comforting. Whereas now I'm learning to just sit in the moment, but um, I definitely do that with relationships too. It's, t- it's tough on the people you win relationships with and I think a lot of times when the singer sings, of heartache, then the fans empathize with the singer. Mm. And I think what I hear on this album for the first time really is a self-realization that you, maybe you haven't been the easiest person yeah. to connect with and that it's been tough for others too. Oh, completely, 100%. It's a horrible thing to admit. This album is about a certain relationship and it's my first ever relationship um, that I had. All my relationships have been for four, four to five months, but this was the first biggie, I'd say. Um, and I, it awakened me sexually, it awakened so many parts of me. It was a trial for sure, and I was dealing with so much, so much in my head whilst going through it. There's a song called Forgive Myself on the album, and that was actually, it, it, it's towards the end of the album, but it's actually, I actually wrote it at the beginning. And that was the, the big thing, is like, I don't have you here anymore to, to talk through this or to, to take the blame or anything. I've got to figure this all out by myself now. And to do that, I've got to, I've got to accept that maybe I wasn't great as well. This is something that started, you know, with, with an album title. I mean, your debut album, which sold millions and millions of copies around the world, is called In the Lonely Hour. I, I think, really, this sounds to me, especially on the song you just mentioned, um, which is a beautiful song, and, and my only complaint is I felt it should have been sooner up the, the album because yeah. of what it represents to the narrative of the album, right? It feels like you've had to yeah. get to that point through the course of listening to the album, but I feel like you were already there when you started writing. Yeah, and yeah. so, for, for me, it's like that song is a representation of the journey that began within the Lonely Hour, which is when you're in that space on your own and you haven't got anyone to pump you up, that's when the that's when you really have to face those things down. And you obviously weren't able to do that on album one, right? You just weren't there yet. 
No, no, and I didn't have therapy. I know it sounds crazy, but like when this, when this, I was so heartbroken. More oh, therapy is great. It's incredible. I was so heartbroken when writing this record. More, the, I'd say the first proper time I've been actually heartbroken. Like that feeling of like they're gone. You can't sleep. Like the really, really bad feeling. Um, the feeling that my mother dreaded us, me and my sisters, to feel. And um, I really, I really, really felt it. And um, yeah, I, I, it was. Th this is kind of the first proper heartbreak album I've ever written, I'd say, because the others were Not the idea of it. Yeah, the others were the idea of it, and the, and it was pure unrequited love. This, I, I, I would like to say that we loved each other. <laughs> so I, I definitely, definitely loved loved him. So it's, yeah, it was proper. What did you listen to? What did you turn to in this moment as a friend musically to help you soundtrack this experience? Really important selections during a time like this when your emotions are at their absolute peak. Honestly, I, I, I was on tour when I was feeling heartbroken. So I was trying to get through shows um, every other night or oh. a couple of nights in a row whilst, whilst it was happening. So, so I turned to divas. I was like, the only way I'm going to get off my ass and get out of bed is if I channel my Beyonce, if I channel my Christina and my, you know, all these, all these divas. And I turned to them and I, Robin for me was huge on this record, just listening to her nonstop because I could dance and be sad at the same time and feel empowered. But yeah, I, I, like, like always, I have this little box I can go to whenever I'm down and it's, it's all full of strong women. Um, who remind me of my mom and they remind me of my sisters and all the women in my life. And when I'm in those dark places, it's the women that get me through it, to be honest. It's a box of fabulousness, you know? And what I love about the diva mentality, BDE is, as Ariana and I called it, big diva energy, <laughs> is that it, what, it, what, it, what it does is it, thank you. It, 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 it's, it celebrates the challenges in the most fabulous way. It celebrates all the doubters and all the haters and all the people that got in one's way and ultimately establishes a path to victory regardless of how other people feel. Mm -hmm. And I feel like perhaps that music sort of ultimately informed this record. When did you realize that this record was going to be your diva album? <laughs> is it my diva album? Is it? It's in parts. <laughs> in parts. Yeah. I don't see how you can say "Dance Till We Love Someone Else" isn't a modern diva. That anthem. is a diva song. Yeah, yeah, it's a diva song. Diamonds is a diva song. I'm sorry, Diamonds is a diva song. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. There's diva songs all over it. To be honest, it's. Do you know what it was like? I, the way I talk about this record now is, I say it's like an exorcism. It was like a sexy exorcism. It was like. I a sexicism. A sexicism. <laughs> that sounds so bad, Zane. <laughs> and it's like, I basically got to the point, Zane, where I was like, I'm 27 years old right now. 27 years old. And if I'm going to dance and sexercise myself, I need to do it now. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about diamonds for, for a second because <laughs> it's an exercise in, in character development, really. And what's really interesting about it for me is the way that it lands on the record, coming off a song like Young, and perhaps your most interesting vocal performance on record yet is the last verse, is the last part of Young, where you feel capable and confident enough to not put your voice on display at the highest possible level, because everyone knows you have one of the greatest voices alive today. But you actually show this very, very deep, personal side of your of your vocal which i love and then it goes into the song diamonds which almost fast forwards to the end of this 
experience, to go from young to a life lived, was that very deliberate in the way that you positioned it? Because it's it's the most kind of, I don't know, like age-orientated experience as a songwriter I think I've heard you do. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to just have a shock that was just there. And it was like, it's into the fabulousness. Because that's the, when with the whole sentiment of young, it's like, go out, dance, kiss guys, you know. And, and Diamonds is something to me, it's a song to me that I would be listening to in the clubs, that I would be, that I would be flipping my hair to and going for it to. So I wanted it to, to smack into that. I really did. You know, the next song on the record is called Another One, and this is, you know, where the, the, the dance floor shows up, but again in this kind of very Robin-influenced, restrained environment where you're dancing, but it's also a very thoughtful, very heartbreaking song, um, the ultimate moment of letting go, letting somebody go. Was that a tough one for you to, to finish and to write, given that it was such just a clear connection to the personal experience? This is honestly my favourite song I've ever done. It's my favourite song I've ever done, this song. I just adore it. I've listened to it more than I've ever listened to any song I've ever done. I've, I wrote this with Nooney, um, Linus and Nooney in LA, and I'd found out something the, on the, the morning before, and I got in the studio, and this song just completely just came out and we ended up like sitting on their balcony having some champagne and we were just dancing in the sunlight to this song and I love how honest this song is I love it to sing it feels like it feels it feels beautiful to sing what I love about it is I'm trying to sound I think I'm trying to sound nice in these lyrics as in like I'm cool I'm cool with it it's fine I was convincing myself that I was so over it it's you know, beautifully barbed in its gentleness. It's it's this thing that gets under your skin, this song, because you feel like to some degree, yeah, wow, Sam has got to a point where forgiveness is paramount, but it's not entirely there. Yeah. It's yeah. not entirely there. Completely. And I felt through the record, actually, you start, Young starts the record and Diamonds and another one, it's, it is Young. I'm Young when I'm talking, what I'm talking about is I'm still blaming and I'm pointing the finger and I'm being sassy and I'm saying I'm over it when I'm not. And then as, as it goes further through the record, I, I sit down a little bit more and I'm like, okay, no, no. It's not, it's, this was both of us. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment on the album and it really does set up the record for what is to come, which is that this, as you pointed out, this really delicate and thoughtful, very groove-orientated journey of self-discovery. Um, you know, you once again sort of teamed up with Guy from Disclosure on that. Much is made of this relationship between you and, and the boys because of the impact you had on each other's lives at a crucial moment early on in your careers. But to see how far Guy has come and to be able to stretch out as a producer and just get those touches, it must feel nice to come home because I know there's been moments where you haven't done that recently. Yeah, 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 completely. It was there was just a few of these songs on the record which I just needed him to bless. It was probably written with with his magic in mind, I guess. Um no one for me does it quite like he does it um when it comes to certain songs. He's he's a, he's a magician and he's on fire at the moment as well. He's just working so yeah. hard and he's so open to loads of new stuff which is really exciting. And um, yeah, he was. I, I was so, so happy with what he did to them. You know, you talked a little bit before about when you were younger and the idea of, of loneliness that came with identifying as queer at such an early point in your life. And you made another really important 
um, step forward in terms of your self-identity recently. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past as it was happening, but I think it was all kind of unfolding when we were talking. And I think now you've had a, what is it, a couple of years since you sort of identified as they and we've gotten into a situation where we look at you as, as a gen- gender-neutral human being. That I, I sort of wonder how that experience now has how it sits with you today versus the day you, that you told the world, this is who I am. Um, then you become this and it becomes who you are, um, who you've always been, but in the eyes of the world, how has that settled with you and how has it changed your life, if at all? Oh my gosh, it's, I think when I first announced my pronouns, I mean, look, I've always been non-binary. I've always felt the way I felt. When I changed my pronouns, I things got complicated for sure. I felt a need to be presenting queer all the time. It took time. It took real time. You know, people, my closest around me, my family, my my sisters and stuff, they all got it like that and it wasn't a problem. What I've learned this year is people don't like to be wrong. And when people mess up a pronoun or, or something, they really don't like it. It's It's this... It's, like it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. It gets really, it gets, it kind of ruins conversations. It ruins moments. It's really difficult. Um, so I've had to just go into myself and try and deal with it in a real kind way and patience and just know that everyone's working on this. It's going to take time. We're changing a language here. It's, so I'm trying to be patient with it. But I have to say, right now in my life, I feel, sounds cliche to say, but I feel so free. I feel so um, unafraid of failure, unafraid of, uh, of, of like my imperfections. And I just feel, I don't feel a lot of fear at the moment because I just feel like I can do everything wrong and it would still be okay because I've got my own back. I really have my own back. And that's a lovely feeling to, to, to feel. Were you feeling that when you were readying to release To Die For? No. Yeah, I wonder because I know that there were obviously very surface level reasons as to why that title and the whole album got rethought. The whole world has had to rethink, you know, mourn your plans and make new ones, as someone said to me at the beginning of this year. You know, classic example, what you had to do in terms of what you were planning around this record. But 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 personally, if we can go deeper than the, the press release, what was really getting to you about To Die For in relation to who you were at that moment in time? Mm, well, basically... Um I wasn't ready to release a record, I don't think, at all. The album was there. Um, the music was there. I'd made it, but I hadn't sat with it. And I hadn't actually, like, enjoyed it. I'd just written it so fast. I'd also been writing this record. I released Dance With A Stranger and I was writing the record. Released How'd You Sleep, writing the record. It was all happening all at the same time. And tra- travelling all around the world whilst doing this. And then when lockdown hit, I came home and I had to stay home, which is something that I haven't had to do for eight years. I've just been running away from things. And I came home and had to face what I was and what was happening and my relationships with people around me and and really face what fame has done to my life as a person and what, and what I've gone through. And um, in doing that, I just, I just got time to, to sit back, just to sit back and, and, and plant my roots again and feel sturdy and feel safe enough to now put out a record and, and feel, feel like I've got a home to go back to if everyone hates it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And like, I was, I just wasn't, no one's I was, hate it. 
I was not ready to I was not ready to release to die for at all. I have a funny relationship with words and art. Mm-hmm. And I and as I've gotten older, maybe it's just my obsessive compulsive tendencies as well. I I will stop myself if I use an extreme word I think is drawing the wrong energy towards me and I will try to find a new version of that in order to try to maintain a balance yeah. even through language. Like if I'll say, oh my God, it's going to be a catastrophe, I'll go, well, not a catastrophe, it's going to be a challenge. People think I'm crazy in conversation and doing this. So when you said you were going to call the album To Die For, I, I, I just, there was a part of it for me as a fan, but as your friend that was worried about that yeah. title. I don't know why. It's a bit dark. It was dark and it was, it wasn't, I don't think it actually symbolized what I was going through, which was actually a rebirth, almost felt like a rebirth and a, and a, and a, and a good yeah. thing, an exciting thing. It was, it was too heavy, you're right. It was way too heavy. What did it mean? Well, I mean, going back and looking at it now, now the album's called Love Goes, what, what was to die for? What was going on there? God, I think there was a deep, deep meaning behind it. It's probably like really narcissistic and like, just like I'll die for my freedom. The freedom is to die for, you know, a little bit. But it did come, it came from the song I Just Want Somebody to Die For, which is, which was probably me at my lowest. And a song that's actually too deep, I think sometimes. I still love it as a song, but it's, it, it's just, it's just intense. It was an intense period and intense time and I think that I needed to sit back and listen to the record and realize how fun it was how good this is and how amazing and brave I've been to step out and speak about who I am and that stepping back and and listening to to my work made me nothing but happy and so the title the cover everything had to be lifted to be a bit more of a celebration the world that we're in right now and even the industry as a micro of within that macro experience has no doubt changed in t- over time from the from the from the boy you were at school mm. trying to establish your queerness in an environment that didn't understand and yet there's still transphobic and homophobic and anti-queer attitudes that permeate through not just the world, but this business. I want to talk a little bit more about that from your experience, because as someone who's done so much towards establishing the queer voice in an, in this environment, and yet it still sounds to me like you're hyper aware of the challenges that still that, that are still faced. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere, Zane. It's hard. I, can't, I mean, I, I never want to get into it too much, because everyone everyone go nuts if I do. <laughs> but it's it's high. Why? why would they go? Why would they I don't go? No, it's something that's heavy. That's hap- that's that's obviously going on in in everywhere. You know, around the world at the moment. But I'm up against it. I mean, you just got to look at all the queer. How many queer people there are in in the charts right now to know that. You know, and and how many queer movies there are in the world, and how many queer actors, our actors we have, and and all these things. You know, you, you've it's 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 very obvious. I think in front of us that we're not we're not where we should be and there's stories that aren't being told and chances that aren't being given to people because people aren't ready for it maybe yet and uh, maybe it's not where the money is you know that's the truth of it I'm finding it hard sometimes to navigate myself through it because you sometimes one can feel like their dreams are capped because of because of their their expression and who they are. So you can only get so far because, you know, it's not going to reach the masses. That message isn't going to reach the masses, which can be a hard pill to swallow. It's so conflicting, isn't it? I can imagine because on the one hand, yes, you want to feel like you can go and achieve all that is in your heart based on the talent and the passion you have and the work ethic that you're willing to put into it. Mm. 
and the disappointment of feeling like that is not available to you and your peers. Yeah, but also, when I'm saying this, I just want to make it very clear, this is not woe is me. Like, it's not woe is me. I'm, I'm more speaking up for other people, other queer people, who, who won't even get a quarter where I've got to because of, because of them being black or trans or, you know, all these things. You know, self-awareness is really important right now. We need a lot of self-awareness in order to create a greater awareness. I, and I totally understand um, you jumping in to say that. And I think it's, it, it shows that you're hyper aware of the need to help from an empathetic point of view rather than from a self-obsessive point of view. But the point I was going to make was that there is some freedom in knowing that the only dreams that truly matter are your own and the only expectations that truly matter are your own. And that ultimately, by, by serving your own purpose as you've done on this record and making the record that's in your heart, you are doing great work towards climbing over these walls and showing people that you're not going to be beholden to the things that you've earned that can hold you down. Yeah, that's, that's actually such a beautiful way to put it. And then something that I remind myself every day, you know, like I... I always say Wembley Stadium because I never perform there and it's my dream. But performing on Wembley Stadium, dressed in what I was dressed in five years ago and singing another two albums worth of songs that sounded like the songs from the first record, I would not be happy. And I'd rather never play that place in that way because I, I, I'd only ever want to do it as me. I'd only ever want to be dancing on that stage. Deep up in. <laughs> By the way... I where did that come from? I mean, I used to, I was used to this. All I ever remember seeing from you was. <laughs> I know. That was the classic, In, inside, classic Sam move right there. Inside I was whopping, babe. Inside I was whopping. <laughs> <laughs> when was the moment that you realized that you were never going to move that way on stage ever again? Oh, and God. That this was who you really were. It was prom it was promises. Honestly, it was the video shoot of promises. We were in LA and had all these amazing dancers on stage, all these credible queer people around me. And they were all just I was doing my whole like like restricted moving kind of thing. And they just had all these drag queens just screaming like, Sam, dance, like go for it. And I just I did it. I had I shotted some drinks. I was smoking loads of cigarettes. I was just like, let's can have it let's do it let's do it and i just did it and there's something about dancing that is so amazing because you you have for it to look comfortable and good you have to loosen up your head you have to loosen up your you've hips go for it. you just got to go for it and you've got to not be self-conscious about it and just dance and i love dancing anyone who knows me i've always loved dancing you know so it was time it was time to let shakira out it plays a significant role on this on this album, the idea of movement. Um, and one of the songs we talked about before, which I absolutely love, is Dance Till You Love Someone Else, which is one of those kind of classic Robin-esque, Jammin' Lewis, I'm going to get over you through movement types of songs. And also vocally, you really line it up on this particular moment. Can you tell us a story about making this song? Yeah, this was me and um, uh, Two Inch Punch. Ben and um, and Amy Allen in London together. Ben had worked with Amy before, but me and Amy had only just met, and me and Amy just had the most amazing connection. Like, 
made a, I've made a really beautiful friend with Amy and she's, she's just unbelievable. And we just started making this tune. I, I remember saying the lyric, everyone says you're not going to get over someone until you love someone else. And she was like, that's it. And then I just sang that first chorus. And I was trying to do, I was like channeling Cher, to be quite honest, when I was doing it. And um, it turned into what it did on the day. It was absolutely nuts. And I'm really reaching in that song. It's an absolute bitch to sing. It's really hard. But it was, it was, it, it's fun. It's fun. Probably my favorite song on the record, if I'm honest. I mean, I also love another one, but I, I love Love Goes. Oh, do you? Because, oh man. Isn't it amazing? I love it so much. It sort of falls out of the sky in the most sort of idiosyncratic and amazing way. Like the way the piano line encourages you to follow it melodically. And then you have the big Labyrinth ending, which Labyrinth is so good, he'll always give you the show closer. Your, your laugh, by the way, that wasn't Labyrinth, that was me. <laughs> that was you? Well, yeah, he was, I mean, on that song, he was like, I was the one going, push it, let's do it, let's do it at the end. I think I wanted my Labyrinth ending because I love Labyrinth so much. Yeah. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. I mean, no one, no one knows how to take a song from one end to the, of the field to the other like Labyrinth does. He's, he's progressive within a three and a half, four minute pop structure. So good call. But the first two thirds are just so charming and so unique in the way you two connect. How was that experience working with Young Genius, as I call him, and yeah. always call him? He's, um, I always knew he was a genius, but then just watching him in person and being in, with him in the room was honestly like, it was spiritual. That's the only word I have to describe it. It was incredible. He loves music more than anything else in this world. And he breathes and lives the feeling of it in your bones and in your body. And he also really gets me and he understands me. And he celebrated me. He honestly did. Like I walked in and I just felt really safe in his hands. And I felt like there was a genuine like a bit of love there between us, you know, and we've written again after this and and he's sensational. He really is. I, I remember standing outside the cinema after that, writing that song with my sister, Lister on a voice note and nearly welling up because I just thought it was so beautiful. I'm surprised you didn't cry. Yeah, I don't really cry that much. What, what, what? Okay, let's talk about that. My question was going to be, do you get emotional listening to your own music? I've only cried once. Okay, when was that? I cried when we did Stay With Me. When I heard the, I heard the, because I added the choir on in the chorus, and when I listened to it back, I cried. That's the only time I've ever cried, I think. Yeah. You know, I was talking to Alicia Keys about this the other day, and she, she was really honest. She was like, I just can't cry. She was like, I, I feel all the emotion of crying, but, but nothing comes out. Do you, what's your relationship like in those times with emotions and, and do you find it hard to release? Yeah, do you know what? I'm the type of person that I won't cry, but when I do, I cry. And I'll, I'll go for hours. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll bring up, and I'll cry, and then I'll stare at myself in the mirror crying, and then I'll laugh at myself because I look so ridiculous, <laughs> and then I'll cry again because I'm laughing at myself crying in the mirror and I'm sad. It's so true. I've done that. Well, you've been crying for so long. You just—it's—it's it's like this macabre disassociation from yourself in this moment, where you <laughs> want to just see yourself because you just want to actually yeah. be able to recognize how ridiculous you look. They're mirror montages. That's what you call them. You seem really happy. What's making you happy? 
oh my God, I'm eating loads of food when I want to eat it and I'm not feeling bad about it. I'm uh, surrounded by beautiful queer people most days of my life. I'm, I'm My team are kind and they're looking after me. My family are around me. I'm trying to think what else. Whispering Angel makes me really happy. <laughs> For those people that are listening or watching this right now, it's one of the more better known brand named rosé wines. Oh. It's all right. Whispering Angel, it's the summer's water, guys. You have to get it. What is the bougiest pleasure? What is the meal that you love to eat for a special occasion? Do you know what? I really don't like fine dining because it's the food is so small. Um, I would say the it, it's yeah. I don't like tricky things. Uh, bougie would be. I love. There's a place called River Cafe in London, which I love. Just straight up, straight Italian. Just good Italian food. I yeah, think like, pasta. Yeah. Pasta's the only answer, like a, like a pappadelli with a, like a ragu or something yeah. delicious like that. I'm all, I'm all about it. With a big bowl of wine like that that you can hold in your hand like that. But I mean, I'm, I'm a cheap date, babe. I like fish and chips. I like tuna melts. I like McDonald's. I like fried chicken. <laughs> you got to come back to California when it's safe. We miss you out here. I and I feel like Los Angeles played quite a significant role in the making of this record, actually. I, it, it shows up a lot in, in, in terms of imagery, beaches, the kind of nightclubs that we both know exist here because we've both <laughs> been together. So I know, we, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and just and just the idea of, of of this particular lifestyle seems to have sort of worked its way into your muse somewhat. Is that, it, it, do you hear it as well? Am I on the right path? Yeah, yeah, it did with this album for sure. It was like the pop dream, you know, it's that, it's that, it's that. I tapped into that, you know. When I did that I'm Ready video with Demi, like being in a dress in an American school, like it was just the most amazing feeling because it's it, from if you come from the UK, you just grow up watching these, you know, these movies that like bring it on and stuff like that. You want to live that life. And I really enjoyed my time in LA writing this record and, and the the music making out there, the top lining, the, the, the pop writers, it's incredible and it's so exciting. It was so exciting to be part of it. And uh, and yeah, I loved I loved it for that record. I'm I'm definitely enjoying being home though now, and I'm I'm enjoying being in England and um, and being in the studio here. Um, I think it will come in waves. When you finish an album with a song um, like Kids Again, and to me, it's almost like a nod to where you've come from creatively. It's the closest thing I think people will be able to align to the thrill of it all on the record in many respects. Yeah. Um, but it also feels like a letting go process. The writing of it feels like a letting go process and a desire to want to mature into something you can be proud of, not something that's striving to, for other people's pride, you know? Yeah. Well, tell us a story about writing that song and, and why it made it onto the album, because it's the only time on the album you break cover. It's the only time on that album that you show a side of who you've been and not who you are becoming. I wanted it to end the album because I wanted it to lead into the next. I've ticked that box, whatever that box was. I, it feels ticked to me now. And, and I broke out. Um, and now it's time to enjoy. And enjoy singing as well and, and, and really, really get into my voice like I never have. With a lot with this record, actually, I didn't want to belt and sing. I just wanted to glide on things and play with melodies that just sat in pockets and, and not have to belt all the time and reach for the stars. With Kids Again, it's definitely sad, does not sound like anything else on the record. And it's the ending and the beginning of something for me. Of what do you think? The end of trying to please people. <laughs> And the beginning of trying to please myself and doing something that only pleases me. I feel like Kids Again as well 
in terms of the story of this of my relationship and what happened, that was the last song I wrote and the the last moment I felt I was like, it, farewell. It, we were kids and it was all nuts and we and we did both did things that were nuts, but it's okay. You know, we're always going to have that memory. Um, that's that's kind of where I was going for it. But the the vibe of it is completely different to the whole record. Well, you and you also have the bougiest bonus album of the entire year. Um, all of your smash hit singles over the last two years are bonus cuts, which I just think is the greatest kind of like subliminal, unintentional fuck you to superstars all over the world. It's like, all right, how you doing, Demi? You're a bonus. Hey, no money. No, You're a bonus. No, <laughs> absolutely not. No way. <laughs> A little bit. Just for me. Just for me. Just for my own sense of humor. It does feel, again, a little symbolic that none of those songs made their way into the narrative on the record in an organic A A A to Z kind of way. Dancing with a Stranger is one of the most important songs you've ever put out. To me, that is the bridge between the thrill of it all. I know Promises got you on the dance floor. Yeah, it was, yeah. But Dancing with a Stranger put your craft back into the dance floor experience. And I think that it just feels to me like that meant more than just how many songs are on the record or the fact that they were already out. Completely. Completely, it did. And it will always be. It's there, you know. It's had it, it had its singular moment, I feel. And I put them all at the end because they're part of this whole time. Um but I feel funny about including it in an album narrative when it's been out for two and a bit years. That's my only feeling, is I just felt like I wanted it to be new and to present the record as a new thing. Um, but it's still very much part of it, but you've heard it. And all those songs you've heard, they're there for you. They're always going to be there. But new first, you know? Just that, that's, how I, that's how I saw it. Before I let you go, what are you going to do now? I mean, you've been able to pour your attention into making music and I think artists who have been able to be faithful to their craft in a time of COVID-19 are very fortunate. Not everyone has. I think some people have really struggled with the stillness. Mm. Um, but now the album is out. There's a few cool things you can do, but it's not the same as packing your bag and hitting the road. Mm. And we can only hope for that. We can't guarantee it right now in the near future. So. What are you going to do with your time? I'm going to sing. I'm going to write. I'm writing all the time and I'm loving it. I'm going to, after the album's out, I'll probably take a month or so to go and get out of London and, and breathe and, 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 and relax a bit. But then when I come back, I'm back into album mode. I want to continue writing. I feel so excited at the moment and like I've got so much to say and, and musically and, and as, a, as a singer, I feel like I'm growing so much that I just want to document it all and just and 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 tell these stories. Um what I'm writing right now though and and the next record is feeling so exciting honestly it feels feels like a deep breath again like it's uh but it's it's I'm feeling older and I'm feeling less pressure than than ever before and it's just purely for me and it's it just feels really good I think I'm tapping into the stillness of this whole period this time this, this is space, you know, there's a lot of space that I'm feeling. That being said, that rhythm of going out and playing shows was joyous for you, but it also, it caught up to you at times. I know there were moments when physically and emotionally, the work you were putting in just to reach us as fans night after night was taking its toll. It's a common misbalance. Mm. 
are you conscious of that when the wheels start turning again? Because trust me, when the wheels start turning again, every artist and every team and everybody is going to be so excited. They'll never want to take it for granted again. I wouldn't be surprised if artists, some artists go on the road for nine years and never stop. And I wonder, you know, how you're feeling about the idea of, of going out and touring again, given that this has been a moment for everybody to stop and take stock. Yeah. I'm, do you know what? I'm missing it, for sure. By the time we're ready to tour again, I'm going to be ready and I'll be fine. I'm going to have different ways of dealing with it, for sure. I'm going to make sure I come home as much as possible. The last tour, I didn't go home a lot. I actually stayed out in countries that where I was. And Yeah, you spent time in Australia a lot, right? You would literally, like, de decamp places. Yeah, so I'd go somewhere a few weeks before starting the tour in that place, which was great, but I now realise that I'm a, I'm, my, my mind really answers well to coming home, back rooting, rooting a little bit, and then going again. So I'll definitely do that. I can't do it forever. Like, I, I, I want to sing to people forever. Like, I really do. Um, but I don't know how arena tours I would love to do, obviously, but I find it difficult. I do find it difficult. I mean, I don't even know if I'd sell out arenas. You don't know that yet, you know? Things like that, I worry yeah, about Yeah, of course that. you would. But I think it's funny, arenas, arenas, whatever. People, it's all relative. But the point is, you, you can. Arena tours are so different to small to small shows. That's the thing. It's like it's just so much more demanding of, of of you on tour. It's it's crazy. It's like a circus. It's mad. So I'm you know I'm always nervous basically about about doing tours like that for sure. If you can't do it forever for various reasons and you recognize that 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 there is a time limit on the amount that you can go out and tour like you've done in the past, and you're somebody who has been so open about the desire to find the true meaning of love and to and you know, I know you know there's more to this life than being Sam Smith in quotation mm. marks. Yeah, of course. Um, are you getting to a point where you'd be willing to sacrifice some of it in order to replace it with something else? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Saying I want kids. I want all of it. You know, I want to I have kids. I want to, and I want to be with the kids and I want to, you know, watch them grow and, and be with them every day. You know, I want to be mummy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely gonna do that at some point, but I've still got more in me. You know, I've, I've still got ambition. You know, I try and, I try and settle it down all the time and play it down, but I'm ambitious and I still, still want to sing to people and, and, and do this job. It's an amazing feeling. It's an amazing job to have. But definitely, I'm, I'm 35 is the latest I'm gonna have a kid. That's what I've decided. So I'm gonna work my ass off until then. Hopefully find a boyfriend, but they're absolutely nowhere to be found anywhere in London. I've been searching all over the place. <laughs> Honestly, I've been on the front line now for a good, good three years, and it's exhausting. The press is saying that you, you've got that you've got a you've got a boyfriend right now, so you need to get your story straight first, mate. I'm single. I'm very very single. The press are warning off suitors before you even get a shot. I know this is the problem. This is the problem. Don't worry, I'm single, boys. I'm here. I'm at the Savoy. I'm at the Savoy. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's always such a joy to talk with Sam, such an honest and open human being. I feel like we could go pretty much anywhere. I hope you enjoyed our latest conversation. It will not be the last right here in the interview series. Brand new music, of course, streaming now on Apple Music. The album is so special. You're going to love it. Always appreciate it when you leave a comment or you rate the conversations. Be honest, subscribe if you want to. And we'll be back again next week with another one right here on the interview series.